Well, good morning, Calvary. Great to see you today, and those of you joining us in Auditorium 2, thanks for being with us today. And uh, just a quick shout-out. A few months ago, we started a thing on Saturday mornings, the first Saturday of each month for men that we call First Thing. We come together and uh, take some time in God's Word and encourage one another. It has been a really great time together. And in September, so that's not this Saturday, but the next one, on September 7th, so the first Saturday of each month, on September 7th, we're going to move the time up to 8.30. So you'll see more about this, but just kind of a change in time. And just want to invite any guys that uh, are interested in joining us. It is a wonderful time, and I hope you'll take time to join us. Also, a wonderful time. Yesterday, we had Calvary's annual golf outing and uh, could not have had a more beautiful day, right? And uh, it was awesome. And uh, we do that each year to raise money for missions. And uh, so with that weather yesterday, we know that God loves missions. Amen? God does not love my golf game. I can tell you that. Like, I've, I think I've told you before, I'm just, I'm just not good. I, it's not funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm so bad. It's funny. It's really bad. And, and so I'm out there, three guys who were so gracious with me, really good golfers, and they're like, hey, you know, you come with, come with us. And so I'm out there and stuff. We get to about the 16th hole, and I'm not real familiar with this course and, and everything. We get to about the 16th hole, and I, and I got the ball teed up, and they let me be the first one to go, like, to get the jokes out of the way, I think is, is kind of what it is. And then the, the, the professionals get up there. So I'm up there, and I'm, I'm kind of ready to go, and I'm looking, and, and I'm thinking of all the things they've told me, you know, keep your knees bent, keep your eye on the ball, keep, you know, all this different stuff, you know, by the time I'm done doing everything, they said, like, I'm trying to do this, and all of a sudden, one of the guys, just very gracious, very, very kind, he goes, um, what you, what you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm getting, getting, getting ready. He goes, what are you, what are you, what are you looking at? I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? He says, where, where are you aiming? Where are you, where are you aiming the ball? And I stood up, and I was like, well, I'm aiming... It's right over there. It's just kind of the hole was there. You know, you got the there was a body of water that was kind of there, this pond that was right there, and then kind of this wide open space. And I said, Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going that way towards the green. He goes, Yeah, that would be actually a really beautiful hole if they had designed it that way. <laughs> he says, But the hole's over there. <laughs> oh, man, you're right. <laughs> Thanks. You know, and. Uh, kind of shifted a little bit because I was so focused. Like, I was down. I was like, all the technique. I was so focused on, what am I going to do in this moment? Because it was complicated and it was complex. And he just had to help me slow down enough and simplify it a little bit to go, I know there's an awful lot to focus on right here, but it's not going to help you unless you're aimed in the right direction. Like, if you're not looking at the right thing, then everything else you do it's kind of just wasting time and energy. At some point, if you're not looking at things in the right way, then everything else is, is going to be out of line. Now, th this is a really important principle, especially in this series of messages that we're talking about. Like, it's fundamental that you start by looking at the big picture of things because so many times you can get so caught up in all the little details and all the complexity of things that actually gets a lot simplified if you'll just stop and go, am I looking in the right direction in the first place? Like when it comes time to talk about big issues or when it comes time to talk about cultural uh, realities around us, that's a huge place for us to start. Are we starting with the big picture? Let's maybe say it this way. Instead of focusing on all the details, are we actually starting by looking at God? Because if you'll start by looking at God first, then it helps put everything else into perspective. We refer to this as a biblical worldview. Let me give you a definition. 
A biblical worldview means looking at life and the world around us from the perspective of Scripture. So instead of letting the world tell us how we're supposed to look at things, we allow God's word to tell us how to look at things. And then in doing that, it gives us clarity in the things we're looking at. Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of complexity down here. But it doesn't matter if I'm aimed in the wrong direction. I have to start by saying, what am I looking at? And am I looking at the right things? So what we're going to do today is take a little case study and think about how do we navigate a biblical worldview. One of the very first scriptures that I can remember memorizing as a child came from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That's a good word, isn't it? I'm so glad that my friend Paul did not let me lean on my own understanding on the 16th hole yesterday. He allowed me to know, hey, that's the path you want to take, not the one you're on. And look, we can't lean on our own understandings. We can't trust ourselves. We need God's help. That's why in this series, as we've been talking about different issues, we've kind of built a case for how we navigate difficult issues in our lives. We started by saying we have to make a commitment to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have been called by God to be salt and light in the world, which means I will be different in order to make a difference. How do you do that? Well, it's based on the foundation of God's word. And we talked about that, why God's word is the truth that we build our lives on. And then we talked about the fact that our lives are not just for this day, but they're for eternity. That someday we will stand before Jesus. We will be before the heavenly judge and we'll give an account for how we've lived our lives. So with that in mind, that as a follower of Jesus, with my life built on God's word and with eternity in mind, it helps me in the decisions that I have to make. So much so that if you go back to that verse in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and you go to the next verse, he says this in verse 7, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. That's a good word right there, isn't it? <laughs> Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you'll have healing for your body, strength for your bones. See, if you start with your own wisdom, it's not going to lead you down the right path. But if you trust in the Lord first, then we find strength that comes out of that. We start our perspective by looking to God. That's what we refer to as a biblical worldview. So to help us with this today, we're going to take one kind of hot button topic. We're going to take an issue in our society, and I want to look at it from a biblical worldview today and see if it helps us to understand things in a, in a clearer way. Now, let me, let me give you a couple of maybe uh, thoughts to consider, maybe even warnings before we jump into this today. Like today, we're going to talk about the subject of abortion. And so this is going to be a kind of a tough subject for us to look at. It might not have as many kind of jokes and ha-has as we might sometimes have on a Sunday morning as we think about this. And it might be interesting to consider that especially if, if you have kids with you or maybe if you're listening to this message with small children, we're not, we're not going to do anything that's in detail today, but it, this is an issue that's, that's literally life and death, right? So that's good for you to know. I also think it's good for you to know as we jump into what's a, a tough topic today that I'm not an expert I feel like I'm just a, a messenger here today. I'm thankful for some people who have spoken in my life. I'm thankful for some resources. I'll name a couple of them here as we go through this today that have been really helpful that I'm indebted to in this message. But I'm not an expert, but I am a messenger, and I really felt compelled to speak about this. In fact, this whole series that we're doing, talking about and looking at 
some issues, this, this let's talk about, where we're talking about some things that may be uncomfortable or awkward or things that we don't often talk about. This actually started in my heart on this issue of abortion. And I thought, you know, everybody knows what Scripture says. And then I thought, no, we, we need to talk about what God's Word says about this issue. And I was really compelled that we cannot allow the cultural narrative to influence the convictions of our faith. We need to let God's word speak to these difficult issues. And it is a difficult issue. Look, I'm going to ask you to kind of ride this out with me. This will take us a little while as we kind of go through this. And just like any journey, there's some spots where where this might get a little bumpy for some of us as we talk about it. The reality is I I don't want this to seem like an issue that's cold-hearted or oversimplified because it's not. This is a difficult issue, and so many of us view it from different perspectives, especially in our experience. In fact, it may be that for some of you, that this topic is something that because of of, of something in your past, maybe an experience that you had, or an experience you encouraged someone else to have, that when we talk about this, it gives an opportunity for the enemy of our souls to bring guilt and shame and frustration and disappointment and loss into your lives. And today, our hope is not to bring judgment. Our hope is not to bring condemnation. Our hope as we talk about this today very clearly is to say not only is God's word very clear on this topic, but God's word is also very clear in the fact that Jesus Christ came to be our savior, our healer, and the one who forgives us no matter what we've done. And so we'll get to that here in just a moment. The other thing that's interesting about this this topic is it's really one of those grace and truth issues. John chapter one says Jesus came with grace and truth. If you're a parent with more than one child, you know that your, your children need to be um, steered in different directions in different ways. Sometimes you have a child who needs more truth, where you have to look them right in the eye and just go, stop it. <laughs> and you may have another child that doesn't respond so well to that kind of truth. Sometimes they need a little more grace. They need somebody to put their arm around them and say, hey, can I walk through this with you? So just so you know, a message like this has some moments of real grace and a moment of real truth that are really important for us to see. But what we're gonna do today is not focus on the complexity of this issue and what we're trying to do here. Today, what I wanna do is make sure that we're looking in the right direction. And I wanna talk about God and how God allows us to have a healthy perspective on this issue of life. So let's talk about life today. I wanna show you three things about God that will help us to make sure we're looking at this from the right direction. Here's the first one. Number one, God is the creator. Number one, God is the creator. We've looked at this uh, multiple times through this series and, and have seen this subject, but it's important for us to recognize God is the creator. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is the giver of life, that God is the one who is the giver of life. We just sang that song that says he is the one who gives us all good things. This is really spectacular when we think about this idea of how life comes to us. Listen to what David said, Psalm 139, verse 13. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? 
But David writes that before he was even born, while he was in his mother's womb, God was already at work and moving in his life. Have you ever seen an ultrasound? Like, it's, it's a really cool thing. There's been three times in my life where I've been able to see ultrasounds of individuals that I was responsible for. <laughs> it was really cool. Like, I've seen them before. Like, you see them in movies and people post pictures, especially when they're making, like, a birth announcement, you know. And the technology today, I mean, it's been 18, 19 years since we went and had an ultrasound done. And the technology now, like, you, you, what you can see, it's just amazing and it's cool. It's really cool. But it's so much cooler when you're responsible for that baby in that ultrasound. Like, there's something that stirs in you. What's interesting about what David wrote here is he didn't know any of that. They didn't have ultrasounds in Jerusalem in those days, true? <laughs> right? When David writes this, he, he doesn't understand the scientific reality of the egg and the sperm. Like, he doesn't know how all of this works and comes together. Like, he wouldn't have been able to articulate that before a woman usually even realized that she's pregnant, a human heart is beating and circulating its own blood. Within a few more weeks, fingers are forming on hands and brain waves are detectable. Before long, these inward parts that David writes about, they're moving. Kidneys are forming and functioning, then followed by a gallbladder. And then in the 12th week, all the organs of a baby boy or girl are functional, and he or she can cry. See, all of this occurs within three short months. In the first trimester, you've got a heart, a brain, organs, sexuality, movement, and reaction because the creator of the universe has knit something together right there in the mother's womb. That's why Job writes and says, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind, because God is the giver of life. But let's take that one more step, because Job gives us some insight. Right in the first chapter of Job, he says not only is God the giver of life, but he also says that God is the taker of life. Now, look, there's a, there's a theology that we could go into here and a whole lot of other things that we can talk about, but let's just kind of simplify the subject real quick here. Life is in God's hands and in no one else's. Job chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 21 says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. See, we don't have the power of life and death. God does. He's sovereign, and it's all in his hands. Because he is the giver of life. He is the taker of life. And know this, God loves his creation. God loves his creation. It has great matter and value to him. Listen to these scriptures. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That's a powerful truth right there. Before we were even living beings that people saw, God was already at work in our lives. Psalm 22, verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I will cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God from day one. From conception, God was there. And if you wonder, is that really life inside of there? We have the biblical account of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a recognition that happened in that moment. Now look, we'll get to this a little bit more in just a moment. But life doesn't begin at birth. We believe, and scripture backs this up, that life begins at conception. That's a life in that womb. If you, if you really want to see this and see God's love, there's this unique passage in Exodus chapter 21 
This is where Moses is giving laws to the people of Israel. And he writes, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. You see what he says here? God says that there is punishment that happens to those who not only take the life of the mother, but he places great value on the preborn child as well. This law treats, and, if you, and especially if you compare it to some of the other laws that are in the Old Testament, this law treats the death of a preborn child as its mother as very significant with severe punishment. So if that's the case, if the accidental killing of a preborn child is so serious in God's eyes, don't you think then that the intentional killing of a preborn child is serious in God's eyes? Because God loves his creation, which leads us to see that any act that ends a human life is murder and sin before God. Whoa, chief. <laughs> You're using some heavy language there. Not me. This is the principle and the truth from God's word. That God says, if I am the creator... And that if that life is taken, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder, then any act that ends a human life is murder and sin before God. Like on the, on the front end of this topic, we're talking about the unborn. We could also take this, and, and we really don't have time to dig into it much, but we could take it all the way to the other end, and we could talk about what about end of life? What about those situations where sometimes maybe you'll hear the term euthanasia. Have you ever heard that term? If you translate kind of the meaning, the meaning is good death, but it's not a good death. Euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide or different names that you might hear for this is when someone chooses this is when my life ends. And the reality is whether you call it compassion or whether you call it freedom, God's word says that it's murder and that the power of life and death is not in any individual's hands except for God's. And let's just be real practical I don't know that I want to live in a society where people are able to clarify the values as to who lives and who dies. Because if at some point we begin to say, well, that person is too old or that person is not making a contribution to society, then at some point, isn't that a slippery slope? I don't think God intended for us to be the ones to give value and worth to people when God is the one who has given those people their value and their worth. And so this, this comes in anytime we talk about life. Here's, here's what's so tricky about this. In fact, it's, it's interesting what people say, because this real quickly becomes a political issue, doesn't it? Like, it, it's, it's been so divisive in our country, and primarily along political lines. And so that's why I think in some ways you go, I don't know that I want to talk about this in church, because it's a political issue. The reality is, based on what I've seen here today, I don't know that it's a political issue as much as it's a spiritual issue, isn't it? Let's get back to the golf course. Well... <laughs> No thanks. But, you know, here's the deal. I can spend so much time focusing on the details of the issue down here when the reality is it'll make a whole lot more sense if I just start looking out here and realize that based on God's word, God is the creator. This is a spiritual, this is a scriptural issue. Here's the second thing that we see, though. Not only is God the creator, but number two, God is the judge. We saw this a few weeks ago, that God is the judge. 
And it's important in our, in, our, in our world and in our lives that someone plays a role that says what's right and what's wrong. A man in Florida who about a week or so ago got a phone call from the landscaping company that was out there just about to mow his grass, and they, they called him up. They're outside, he's inside, and they called him up, and they said, sir, can you, we, we hate to bother you, but can you come out and move your Tesla that's parked out in the lawn? And he says, <laughs> that's funny, he goes, I don't own a Tesla. Are you, are you sure you're at the right house? And they're like, yes, sir, we're, we're at the right house. You might want to look out your window. He looks out the window, and right up in the grass in his front lawn, there's this Tesla that's parked out there. See, somebody had been driving by his house as the, the power ran out on that car, and so they pulled it up into the yard late. It was like 2 in the morning or something because they were on their way to a party at a friend's house that wasn't far from there. So they left their Tesla parked there. They happened to have, like, I think it was like a 170-foot-long extension cord that they plugged into the car and then went and plugged in the outside of this man's house. Yeah. And they were draining the life out of his house the whole time while he's sleeping, while he's down at his friend's just partying it up. And aren't you like, this guy needs to be found out. Don't you think that? It's like, you can't just go around taking things from people like that. You can't just drain life out of people. And I read this article, and they said, like, it was funny that his name didn't get mentioned in the article. And they said, mercifully, this name has not been released. Because I'm like, yeah, because people want to know who's doing this kind of thing. What are you thinking doing something like that? Because isn't your initial intention, like, I hope he gets what he's got coming to him. But I hope you're bothered at least that much, if not more, by the fact that abortion in our society has been draining lives out of our society for years. Potential. People that God has created that have not been at work and at play and making a difference in the world. And so many times we get bothered by the things we see, but we do well to push aside those things that really should bother us because of the tragedy that's involved in them. Here, it's interesting how people think about this issue. 2017, so not too long ago, Pew did a research study, and they found that, that 48%, so about half of Americans, said that having an abortion is morally wrong. So about half the nation said that it's morally wrong. And yet, 6 in 10 adults, so almost 60%, said that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. So people say, no, I think it's wrong, but, but it's okay that, that it's there. Like, we have this mixed feeling, this tug-of-war on this issue and across the world, globally, more than 42 million abortions occur every year. Think of that globally. 42 million abortions. That's 115,000 abortions every single day. There are several resources that were really helpful to me as I was putting this, this message together. Like I told you, I'm not an, I'm not an expert. A book called Politics by uh, Wayne Grudem and a book called Counterculture by David Platt. Platt makes this statement. He says in World War II, the, the Holocaust, six million individuals were killed in that Holocaust, which is an incredible tragedy. 42 million abortions occur every year. And I don't think it's overstating it that Platt would call abortion a modern Holocaust in what is happening. Locally, this is from the Lucas County Census Bureau. For every nine births in Lucas County, one child is lost to abortion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So many times when we talk about abortion, we seem to focus, and, and the, the subject of the Supreme Court comes up. And I don't want to be cheesy, but the reality is God is the chief justice of the heavenly Supreme Court. And ultimately, he has the final say. Yeah, but so many times people will say, well, abortion is an issue of progress. It shows progress in our society, in our culture. It's freedom, empowerment, and choice. And I don't know that God sees it that way. I think, I think the reality is the whole debate that we see happen really boils down to one question. The question is, what's in the mother's womb? Is it merely an embryo or is it a person? That question we have to consider. What is in the mother's womb? Is it a life? Because if it's not a life, then abortion's irrelevant. It's, it's fine. It's, the debate's not necessary if it's not a life. But if it is a life, then there's no justification for abortion that then is adequate. And I think this shows up even in our language. I can remember April 1995 when Rhonda told me we were expecting our first child. I was excited. I was ecstatic. I did not look at her and say, how wonderful. I can't wait to meet our tissue. <laughs> right? What did I say? I can't wait to meet our baby. We use language because we recognize that what is in the womb is a life. Now, I know there's all kinds of objections, and, and please forgive me because I don't want to oversimplify this matter. I know there's stories, and I know there's details, and I know there's things that complicate it, and I know that there's all kinds of th things that we have to think about in those moments when we look at the issues, but when we look and put our focus on God first, it gives so much clarity because we say, well, don't people have the right to privacy, or don't people have the right to choose? And absolutely we do. But there is nowhere where we have absolute privacy and absolute choice. No one has the right to a private conversation with a doctor to conspire how to end someone else's life. And the reality is that no one has unlimited right to choose because what we're dealing with here, based on Scripture, based on God as both our creator and as our judge, shows us that what is in the womb is a life. When I read this, this account that I want to read to you, it was really powerful. It, it said, Rachel is two months old, but she's still six weeks away from being a full-term baby. She was born prematurely at 24 weeks in the middle of her mother's second trimester. On the day of her birth, Rachel weighed one pound, nine ounces, but dropped to just under a pound soon after. She was so small, she could rest in the palm of her daddy's hand. She was a tiny, living human person. Heroic measures were taken to save this child's life. Why? Because we have an obligation to protect, nurture, and care for other humans who would die without our help, especially little children. Rachel was a vulnerable and valuable human being. But get this. If a doctor came into the hospital room and instead of caring for Rachel, took the life of this little girl as she lay quietly at her mother's side, it would be homicide. However, if this same little girl, the very same Rachel, was inches away resting inside her mother's womb, she could be legally killed by abortion. Look, I know it's a complicated issue. And I know we could push back with so many, but what ifs, or what if this situation, what if that situation? And there is a moral argument to be made for abortion in situations when it's, it's to save the life of the mother. 
But can I say this? So many times we get caught up in all the exceptions and we miss the big picture. And the big picture is that God has created that life. And if it's a life, then there is no um, acceptable explanation other than we just choose to be the ones who put value on a life. There's a man who was walking through the airport, I believe it was in Syracuse, New York, and as he was walking through, um, he got up to the security screening. He flies a lot, so he's in and out of a lot of airports. He goes through the security screening, and as he goes through, one of the agents that was part of the security force that was right there, you know, checking bags and all that kind of stuff, slipped him a note, like handed him this note. In fact, um, you can go back and, and see the security footage in the news article that talks about it where this employee just hands him this note, and as he walks away, she yells back at him, did you look at that note yet? Kind of looks at her. It's really weird. He got a little further away and he opened up the note, and inside the note was just two words You ugly. <laughs> like this lady just felt the need <laughs> to tell this guy she did not find him attractive for whatever reason, <laughs> which is just so strange. He's like, I can't believe this. So he calls the, he calls the airport later and he tells them, and they're like, Nobody did that to you, sir. Like that, like at first, they're like, That did not happen, you know, thinking it all through. And he's like, I'm telling you, I've got the note, I can prove it. They go back, they watch the surveillance footage, and sure enough, this lady felt strong enough to tell him how ugly he was. Isn't that interesting? Somehow she thought it was up to her to put judgment on his life. Now, fortunately, this guy was secure enough to know that the only thing really ugly there was whatever was going on in her heart. He kept moving along through it. But think about this. How many times do we put a value on people just based on what we see or based on how we feel about them? And at the end of the day, this is how, how sticky this gets. And we make these statements and we go, who am I to make this kind of choice? And the reality is God says what he says about life and death. And we're also quick to go, well, it's not the government's role maybe. Like, like I'm okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll tell you that abortion, it's not moral, it's not the right thing, but it's not the government's job to legislate morality. It's not the government's job to tell people where their right to choose is. And although that sounds good on the surface, especially when you're just kind of focusing on the issue, if you step back long enough, you know what you find out? That doesn't make any sense. Because isn't there a host of places where government legislates morality? Aren't you glad that the government says something about stealing, lying, murder, and a whole host of other things? The reality is we have to be careful in saying that. We aren't pro-choice about burglary, are we? We're not pro-choice about kidnapping children. So why should we be pro-choice about killing them? If it's murder to kill a person outside the womb, then it's murder to abort a baby inside the womb. I didn't say it, but when I get a clear perspective of who God is as our creator and as our judge... You can't help but see that. Even though the world around us doesn't always seem to make us feel that way. There was a professor in a medical school who was giving some case studies to the students. And the professor said, I'm going to give you this case study, and then I want you to know how you would respond if you were the doctor in this situation. You've been presented with a case where the father has syphilis and the mother has tuberculosis. They've had four previous children. The first was blind. The second died. The third was both deaf and dumb, and the fourth had tuberculosis. What would you advise the woman to do when she finds out she's pregnant again? And one student was real quick to raise their hand and said, well, I would advise her that she should have an abortion. And the professor said, congratulations, you've just killed Beethoven. We don't always know 
what's going on. But on an issue like this, we're real quick to, to get caught up and not see clearly because of the smoke screens. Because we go, oh, it's, it's an issue of politics. Or, oh, this is just kind of societal progress. Or we go, well, people have their preference. People can make choices. And I'll, I, I can't help but look at God's word and say abortion is not an issue of politics. Abortion is not an issue of progress. Abortion is not an issue of preference. Politics, progress, and preference are simply smoke screens that hide the real issue. Abortion is a spiritual issue about which the scriptures are very clear, about what the scriptures talks to us so clearly. Randy Alcorn says it this way, to endorse or even to be neutral about killing innocent children created in God's image is unthinkable in the scriptures, was unthinkable to Christians in church history, and should be unthinkable to Christians today. Because God is the creator and God is the judge. Third thing, one last thing about who God is. God is the Savior. Look, see, he doesn't just leave us with the judgment. He showed us that he came to be our Savior. That, that could be the subject of so many sermons. I want to show you just two things about that. One is this, that if God is our Savior, it's good for you to know that our Savior forgives us. Our Savior brings us forgiveness. Because with this issue, in so many different ways, it's heavy, and it comes with some condemnation and with some guilt. And please know that God is the one who forgives us. Psalm 103, verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So as far as you can take two things, east to west, that's how far God has taken and when we ask him for forgiveness, how he removes our sins from us. And you would say, well, Chad, I don't think I qualify for that. Like the things I've done have been bad. You don't know the choices I made. You don't know the things in my past. You don't know the regrets I have. No, but God does. And he says this, if we confess our sins, this is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Look, the reality is that in a, in a room this size, as many people as may be hearing this message, that there are some of you who have been personally affected by abortion at some point in your life. Statistically speaking, one out of every three women are post-abortive by the age of 45. So there's a really good chance that for some of you, this isn't just an issue that you've heard about in, in politics or in culture or you've heard about with other people. This is an experience that you've had, which makes it a whole different experience that so many of us can't even begin to understand. As a part of the, the Pregnancy Center of Greater Toledo here locally, there's a ministry called The Haven. And The Haven focuses and specializes on helping people to walk through experiences that they may have had because of abortion in their life. We have um, some representatives from The Haven that are here with us today. Uh, many of whom are post-abortive themselves. They know the experience. They know how um, to help people to walk through this. Their focus as a ministry, kind of threefold, it's in grief and loss coaching to help people walk through these things. It's abortion recovery, as well as support groups that can come alongside. Everything is absolutely confidential. If you know someone who could benefit from that ministry, or if you'd like to learn some more about it, following the service in our connection center, in our prayer area. There's some representatives from the Haven that will be there, absolutely confidential. They would love the opportunity to meet with you because we believe this. Isaiah chapter 61, verse three, 
that God provides for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Look, God has promised to bring to those who look to him his healing and his forgiveness and his life, and we believe that that hope is available for everyone. Amen? Amen. I want to invite those of you that are going to help us in just a moment as we come to Lord's table. We're going to share in communion here in just a few moments. Those that are going to help us, I, I know you need to step out to be able to prepare, and I want to invite you to do that. As we get to one last thought that I want to share with you, and it's this. Not only that our Savior forgives us, but our Savior rescues us. Like, there's really cool language in Scripture that talks about God as the one who not only loves us, but that he rescues us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Like, that's powerful language, isn't it? That he rescues us. And you're like, well, what does God care about children? How clear is this? There was a time when the disciples were trying to keep the little kids away from Jesus because they were going to pester him. They were going to keep him from being effective. In Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Look, in, in sharing this message, ultimately, I, th I think that for, the, for, for me, for the church, there were a couple things that were really important. One was this. That if, if this is a subject that in your life brings grief and loss, that you would know that there is forgiveness and healing through Jesus Christ. On the other side, part of my hope in sharing this was that for those of us in the church that know something about this issue but have never really cared all that much, that God would stir something inside of us to say, it's time for me to do what I can about this subject of abortion. To be, to be very honest, that's what, that's what happened to me. Like, I've talked about it before, but I've never taken the opportunity to, to really do a biblical study on why this is important. And over the last few months, for whatever reason, like I said, this was kind of the genesis of this whole series. I felt like through some interaction of some people in my lives and things that God put in my heart, that, that this isn't something that we can just go, well, everybody knows how, how God feels about this, or, or the church knows how we respond to this. In such a cultural uh, climate where this is such a hot issue, it's important for us to know what the Word of God says, and for us not just to know it, but to do something about it to do what we can. So for me, what I could was to take this opportunity to share these scriptures and thoughts with you. And you go, do I really have to do something? I don't know. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. It says, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Those are seven powerful words, aren't they? Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Let me just encourage you. If you can do something, please do something. And you say, well, Chad, what, what, what can I do? How, how do I get involved? Well, for many of us, our, our first thought as Christians has been in the way that we vote. And that's actually really important. And that's something that we didn't get into today. But if you will allow this issue to help to guide you in your voting thoughts, that, that actually is really important. Here's the interesting thing, though. I wonder 
If for many of us, we're more concerned about Roe versus Wade than we are about the unborn. That we, we have more concern about a political battle than we actually do those mothers who wonder, how do I make a decision for life in my life? Where will I get involved and where will I make a difference? I would challenge you to pray. Maybe this is something that's not been a part of, of the prayers that you have prayed, that you would start to pray. That if God opens up the opportunity for you to support and give grace to pregnant mothers, that you would do that. Because you know what statistics show us? That by and large, that when a mother is pregnant, the first place that they think to go to is not the church. You know what they think about the church? They think the church will judge me. They think the church will probably push me aside. I'd love to be a church that helps to change that perception, wouldn't you? Church that we would show people that they are loved. We can partner with area ministries. The Pregnancy Center here in Toledo is doing amazing, life-changing, saving work that would be worthy of you coming alongside of. Foundation for Life here locally is making huge strides in the areas of policy and I would challenge you, don't just, don't just think you know it all. Learn about this issue. Don't just ignore it. And then get involved in some way. And I'm not saying in some way that is loud and is aggressive, but in a way that is filled with grace and is filled with love because our God is a God who rescues. But do you know how he chooses to do it? He chooses to do it through you and me. And if God stirs something in your heart, Will you say, God, I'll be a part of that? A young mom in, I believe, the state of Oregon got out of her car and realized that the car door was locked, that the keys were inside, and so was her one-year-old child. As you can imagine, the panic that kind of set in, she's trying to figure out, what do I do? My baby's locked inside of there. What do I do next? How do I take the next move? What am I going to do? And as it would happen, she noticed that nearby from the local correctional facility, was a group of five prisoners and their, and their escort who were doing cleanup. You know the highway cleanup stuff? And she had an idea. I bet I know who knows how to get into a car. <laughs> so it wasn't long before the supervisor and these five guys from the correctional facility came over, and within five minutes, they had her car opened up. <laughs> she videoed the whole thing on her phone, and at one point, her quote was, thank God for the criminals in the world. I respect all y'all, she said. Exact quote. Isn't it interesting, that story, that God chose to use a group of sinners to set the baby free? You get the point, right? That you and me, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. In fact, far too many times we probably mess up more than we fix up God says there's something you can do there's an injustice somewhere in your life and in your world you can do anything about it so can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment here's what I believe I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and so more than my words whether you're in this room or you're in Auditorium 2 or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, would you say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? Because to some of you, he's saying, I love you. I forgive you. 
there is hope and healing for you. That if in this moment you'll look to Jesus Christ and say, God, would you today begin a process of healing in my life? It may mean that he's challenging you to step out, step into the Connection Center, talk to somebody, let them encourage you in what God can do in your life. It may mean that today, maybe for the first time, you say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need you. I give my life to you. Whatever the Spirit is saying to you in this moment, would you say, God, I need that from you. And to some of you, God is, is, is saying right now by his Holy Spirit, hey, I could use you. There's a place where you could volunteer. There's somebody that you could put your arm around. There's an attitude that you could change. I can't just let this go on. I'm speaking to your life to be involved in rescuing those who need set free, even if some of them haven't even been born yet. Father, in this moment, we thank you for your word. It speaks to us. It challenges us. God, I pray that for the one that needs your forgiveness and your grace today, would they open up their heart to receive that and know what real life is like in Jesus Christ? Maybe a portion of their life that they've kept in shadows, that, that they've tried to keep far away, and yet inside it has continually been a place of fear and turmoil. God, would you begin healing and grace today? And Lord, some of us need a nudge from you today to say it's our, it's our time, it's our turn to do something, thing that maybe only we can do, to make a difference in a time and a place that could literally save a life. God, would you help us to be obedient and faithful to what your Spirit speaks to us today? Jesus' name.